Today on the Unabated Podcast, Jack and I sit down with Brandon Moran of DL Trading, also known back in the day as Machiavelli. It's a great show. Let's get to it. It's the guy goes unabated. That's the new yeah. word, unabated. That's, that's too big a word. That's like mayonnaise. I'm assuming that's the Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Unabated Podcast. I'm Thomas Viola, and joining me, of course, back in the chair, Captain Jack. And we have a great show for you today. Jack, I know you've been so excited. You've been excited all week about this interview. Yeah, so <laughs> this is one where it's a crazy story, but there's been a, a player that I've known about for over 20 years that I've always wanted to meet. And I come to find out I've met him several times. I didn't realize that was the guy that I wanted to meet because we all used to use uh, aliases back in the day. So it turns you used out to use an alias. <laughs> my name is not Captain Jack. Uh, so it it turns out I, not only have I met this guy before, but he works uh, as a market maker for Sport Trade. Uh, he works with DL Trading, which is the the market maker for Sport Trade. And so yeah. I, Ah, oh, it was such it was so weird that I was blown away when I found out that he was the guy that I've always wanted to meet. So yeah, I think I'm gonna fanboy a little bit in this interview and I'm sorry for it, but uh it's yeah, it's it's be kind of cool for me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely excited, but uh what people are definitely not excited about so far this week, I, I feel like a lot of people are licking their wounds from the survivor pool bloodbath that we had this weekend. Yeah, so Jacksonville was everyone's darling, and uh, they they did what you you expect a team like Jacksonville to do to you. They rip your heart out just when you start to back them. Um, we so we have an entry. So uh, Unabated has an entry in Circa Survivor. Uh, it's it's company entry. Everyone's going to share the pot if we were to win the nine point three million dollars. And so we have a little discussion, and you can actually read some of our discussion each week. We've been putting up an article about how we're reaching our decisions about uh, who we're picking. And we, we like to put it out late or after the fact, just so we don't tip our hand too much. But this week we originally were talking Jacksonville. And then uh, a guy we, that works for us named Rufus came into the chat and basically he's like, guys, Jacksonville is negative EV. When you have this many people in a pool this big and everyone's going to be using that same team, you do not want to use that team. Which is true. And I've said it in my strategy articles about survivor pools in the past. Um, and it, it didn't take much for Rufus to sway the room. And we quickly pivoted, looked at everything we have coming on the rest of the year and said, you know what, this looks like a good spot for Miami. And uh, it kind of was right. They uh, <laughs> talk about a cakewalk. Whew. Yeah. It was an absolute rocking chair. Did you see the, uh, there was a Mike McDaniel lookalike in the crowd. Like, Stone no. cold, uncanny resemblance. It and wasn't Ralph Zola. It might have been. He had the headset. He had the like like sweatshirt, full outfit on. People were joking. McDaniel was just in the stands letting fans call plays. By the end of that game, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I like this Miami team. Like they're fun. McDaniel is a good head coach. I love the you. You hear it from the NFL like strategy wonks. They're always on Twitter talking about the way that they use personnel formations and the way that they're trying to manipulate uh -huh. defenses. It, it's, it's a fun and interesting way to think about football. And I like what they're doing, but man, not just Jacksonville who let's face it. Maybe we should have realized that when we look back something like nine of the last 10 meetings with Houston, the Texans have won. It's that, it's that weird get up spot 
that Houston always has. A couple teams have those with some divisional opponents, but um, then you also had the Colts take down the Ravens. And then if that's not bad enough, the Cardinals who have been fantastically feisty this season, I, I was high on them going in. I didn't think that they were going to be the mega tank that everybody expected, but all of a sudden I'm liking what coach Gannon is doing there. And I'm like, I'm liking what I want to see Kyler Murray in this Cardinals offense and they take down the Cowboys. So there's a lot of people that are doing survivor and their strategy is whoever's playing Houston or Arizona. And if I've used that team, well, I'll use who's already playing the other. So this week was double trouble. You know, yeah. it was two teams. For Circuit Survivor, there's a lot of people that save Dallas for Thanksgiving. So ergo, the Dallas penalty is not quite as big as the Jacksonville penalty was. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, and this is probably going to happen again. Like, I think we're down to 3,000 some in, in Survivor now, Circa. There's probably room for another major week where the expected favorite doesn't cover and uh, everyone takes a big bloodbath. So um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited for survivor now that we, we, we survived the first purge. Uh, let's, let's see where we can go from here. I have to give a shout out. I'm in one pool that I've been doing for the last several years since I was in like high school, one man or woman, had just the absolute stones and picked Arizona. They should just wow. get the whole pot right now. That's just an amazing call your shot on that. But that is pretty good. But my my personal favorite part of the week was uh the fact that the NFL has officially been taking over taken over by the one thing bigger than the NFL. And you I knew you were know. gonna you knew you were gonna bring this up, Tom. It's like it, had, would, like, it had to come up. I mean, there was no way. Can we get through without Taylor Swift being mentioned on this podcast? Can we edit this out, please? This is <laughs> my question uh... for you, because here's the thing: if the Swifties all of a sudden discover gambling here, how much public money is gonna flood in on Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown? And how much will the books make back on the sharps all taking the no at plus three hundred? I don't know, maybe she'll maybe she'll talk about how there's gonna be a field goal made in every game and everyone will bit into that again. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, this is a Taylor Swift free zone. Please give me that. <laughs> all right. All right. But let's get into it here because we have a fantastic interview coming up. Brandon Moran is here. I think that we should get right to it. Let's do it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on into the show, Brandon Moran of DL Trading, one of the market makers for Sport Trade. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us here today. It is a pleasure to have you on. I know Jack has been just absolutely chomping at the bit for this interview for <laughs> the last like week and a half now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just just to just to explain why I'm so anxious for this. So I was listening to uh, David Frohard Lane on Bet the Process like two weeks ago, and he mentions his partner, Brandon, who I've met, Brandon, we've met a few times now yes, at different events. And he <laughs> mentions he used to go by Machiavelli on uh, the Major Wager Forum and some other places. And I'm like, Machiavelli, I've always wanted to meet this guy. Like this guy, <laughs> I had read some kind of online article back in the early 2000s about this this guy that was from my alma mater, Lehigh University, and he was doing sports betting and he was doing in-game betting and making a ton of money. And so I'm always like, I wanted to track down this Machiavelli guy. Little did I realize I've met him a few times already. So as soon as I knew that, I was like, no, we got to get Brandon on. I want to, we want to talk about his history. Uh, he's an, he's an OG. He's been doing this for a long time, probably doing this longer than I have. 
So I always like to invite people like that on and and learn something from them. Um, so sorry, Tom, I just hijacked that from you, but uh, <laughs> I told I'll... I told everybody you were very excited for this interview here, and Brandon, <laughs> we haven't let you get a word. Well, in. I got a lot to live up to here. I, 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 let's let's hope that I can. Um, yeah. So so Brandon, let's start with how did you get into uh, sports betting? Uh, walk us through it. And give us the the short version. <laughs> the short version is. Um... You know, I, I've always been interested, I guess. Um, I think I started, you know, going to Penn National Racecourse, you know, betting on horse racing and just, you know, looking, thinking, uh, doing a lot of, you know, just doing looking, thinking and losing, I guess, probably <laughs> a combination of those things. And then uh, I don't know what, like, what, what the what day you can say you switch over from being a participant to uh, a sharp better to a professional in in sports but it was a gradual process over the years where you know I, I developed a you know set of skills that kept honing them I guess um yeah and you talk about that set of skills and one of the things that you really were able to hone in on was in-game betting even back yeah. when that was still really in its infancy how, how did you initially come come about saying hey wait this is a potential edge this is something i can exploit how did you get into all that well i think it 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 was attractive to me because uh it offered the ability to um to bet on a lot of games really i i think if you're originating a number on a pregame market you really well you better do it really well i mean you you have to um you uh both in terms of modeling, in terms of information, in terms of of, of, of everything, you it's an awful lot of work. So um, I, I don't want to say that the in-game stuff wasn't as much work, but but one of the things you you are able to use in your in-game betting, and it's not the entire uh, the entire thing, but an important thing is the pre-game betting line. You, you take the work of all of those originators and. Uh, as you begin the game, you kind of, you can kind of set aside any, to some significant degree, set aside any beliefs regarding the strengths of the teams or their propensity to score, much beyond what that final point spread was or or final total was going into the game, and uh, so that that kind of sets you up in, in a position where your your role is to uh, understand how to digest what's happened thus far and come up with a new fair fair price for the game uh and that's where it begins i mean obviously as you become as you're betting a lot of these games you you start to notice patterns in the way that that lines are dealt and and uh and it it takes on a life of its own but um yeah so back then we're now we're talking just so the audience knows we're talking the early 2000s right yes. or even the late 90s yes yeah. So it was it was really a wild west out there. Everything's offshore, obviously. Yes. Uh, where where could you play in game things? Well, um, I had a, as I recall, about twenty five outs. Um, some of which, I mean, probably similar to today. Uh, there were the ones that that were the true sort of leaders and 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 market makers in in the betting and by the way in game i guess i suppose i would um uh it was mostly done at halftime then in terms of okay. throughout the game 
um, there were only a few, only a few venues that were even attempting to do that because it was still the the large wagers were taken over the phone in those days um, exclusively. Um, yeah, it was, I was going to say, how on earth did it even work back then? I mean, we're so spoiled by today where we can yeah, just so, go online so and bet. I never quite finished answering where. Uh, Olympic sports, the, the Greek uh, was one of the major players. Uh, you know, Chris, which, you know, becomes bookmaker eventually. Um, another major player. Um, you would, uh, the way it would work is you would call into the call center and, and say that you wanted this game and they would put the game on hold if they knew you were a big enough player to, to move the line. And uh, then you'd place your bet verbally and then they would take it off a hold and put it, give it to the next player. <laughs> that was, uh, that was how it was done. Um, and then I, you know, get in my horse and buggy and drive home at the end of the day. I guess. <laughs> so how, how inefficient were those markets back then? Um, I mean, it, they were inefficient, but I, I think some of the some of the broad level inefficiencies are are, are still going on today. I, I think, um, I, I would say that the, and this is a theme throughout. I think sports betting. If you can get the data that nobody else has, that then that is a um, that's always a an amazing sort of coup uh, to, to 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 have. Um, so. I kind of did a lot of custom uh, web scraping myself to like a, 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 one of the sources where the USA Today box scores. Um, so uh, wasn't really good at building an automated scraper. So it was just, a, it was a lot of, uh, well, here's one day at a time, copying, pasting things into Excel and, and having Excel kind of auto collate everything until I had a historical at least a historical uh, line score of all of the football games, then merging that together with, you know, a historical betting line database, like these things are not quite as easy to come up, come by as they are now. So that, that was one thing, but um, in terms of building the, the, the odds, another thing though, that on game day that I, I recall doing was needing to know who was going to receive the second half kickoff. There wasn't, um, there wasn't an internet play-by-play -play the way there is now. And actually most of the games weren't on TV in the way in, in college, the way they are now. So I found myself uh, trying to listen to the college uh, radio announcers on broadcast.com, scrambling from game to game to game, taking notes who received the opening kickoff so that who, who might, um, who might be receiving the second half kickoff, just to make sure that I had all of the, all of the edges at my disposal when those games went to, to halftime. It, simple it, stuff like that was needed back then um yeah it, it's especially absurd from my point of view like i, I grew up <laughs> growing up in the internet age just to think of all the things we take for granted now yeah. with information yeah, yeah it, microsoft excel has always been the gambler the sports better's best friend yes, before we all learned r and python and things like that we had to learn excel and your crude vba functions to make it somewhat automated yeah we all we all went through that yes indeed so at some point brandon you decide okay sports betting's fun but i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a career in finance walk us through a little bit what happened there and then how did one influence the other well you know 
as with most people's life stories, there's there's a sort of a little bit of chance serendipity involved with that. Um, there was a, a a place called Trade Sports out of Ireland that that eventually became In Trade. Um, they started with um, trying to bet on sports and at current events, kind of shifted their focus towards uh, like current events and political markets and, and things like that in the mid 2000s. But anyhow, I, I started there from the very beginning betting on that place. And there's a, uh, the founder of, of trade sports was good friends with someone in the uh, uh, proprietary trading community and in, in finance. And the two of them got to talking and, and the, the, uh, they, he asked them, was there anyone doing very well on your exchange? And they said, well, what about this guy? And so hmm. I got invited out for an interview. I did not think I had a, a resume of any sort <laughs> that would, I kind of thought, well, I'm doing this sports betting thing and, and that's just what I'm going to be doing for a very long time. But, um, I think I was, I think I was ready for a change personally. I, I, it was going very well, but I think the lifestyle was maybe not quite for me staying up late betting on college basketball games and, and, uh, and not being able to go to sleep right away because there was a lot, you know, there was a lot going on. And, uh, I think that lifestyle was a little, little draining, a little, you know, probably, you know, I, I was in, I was in the mood for a change. So I, I, they invited me out to, uh, to Chicago and fell in love with the city and, went into the world of high frequency trading from there. And yeah, so on your LinkedIn, you mentioned you spent too many nights uh, staying up late to sweat <laughs> at uh, Cal State Fullerton freshman <laughs> shooting free throws and things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk briefly about the high frequency trading. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a concept that people are somewhat familiar with, with the book, uh, the Michael Lewis, the Flash Boys. Yeah. Um, what was the reality of that? And I, those of you who have listened to the DFL appearance on Bet the Process, he did go into this a little bit, but uh, I just want to hear from you, like, what about that industry excited you? And then where did the pivot back to sports betting come from? Yeah, um, I, I think it was, um, you know, prior to getting into that job, I had day traded quite a bit. And um, I... But I think you're always on the outside looking in when you're not on the professional side of the of the counter in finance. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I think it's just automatically exciting at, at the chance to sort of apply my skills and into some very deep ponds. Uh, so um, that's what was exciting about it. I guess it got became more exciting as it became successful over time. Um, and then you had a second question. I, I'm trying to remember here. Well, the, the pivot back to sports betting, but just real quick, the high frequency trading. Yeah. Is it a, is it akin to top down betting that we see a lot of people do these days, but on a much massive scale at more microscopic? Sure. Uh, I I would say yes, but I think like to, to some extent, the financial market is so mature that so much of it is like a top down, like everybody's trading a product with uh, you know just simply referencing all of these other traders and 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 doing uh trades in reaction to to others um 
So I think anytime that that happens, it becomes a sort of a real sophisticated ecosystem that uh, that that kind of you know grows upon itself. And uh, you know, it being you know financial markets, there's there's a lot of money on the line, so there's a lot of room for all of the various strategies to to make some money. Um, but yeah, I think the I would I think I would say that top down coming into play is a is a sign that there's a, a increasing sophistication i think to, to to sports betting uh the process of it and uh and people are are tempting to carve out a a, a niche in it um th that makes them some money you know i'm sure some of them are better than others at at what it is they're doing like anything else so then continuing on your career there, you decide that you don't want to sweat CSU Fullerton games anymore. You go into yeah. high frequency trading, but then you're back. What is it that pulled you back into the world of sports betting? How how did you get back into this side of the business? What made you decide you wanted to make the leap back? Well, um, I mean, it's always something that I I mean I'm I'm looking at and um I, I suppose, I mean, finance went really well, I guess. I, I was in it for over a decade and, and then, you know, managing money on my own after that. Um, it's, uh, I, it, I suppose that's what you do with, with life is you try to try to earn some money so that you can do what you feel like doing, for, which for me is modeling sporting events and uh, and understanding, you know, what the, what the probability of a college football game during an in-play is or or uh or understanding how to take down you know large action on on pre-game betting and 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 keep our our line up and liquid and uh and and do what we do so you, you you're working now with david frohart lane who yeah. Uh, is, is renowned for he, he won the uh, super contest out in Vegas a few years back. He's in in sports betting circles. He's known as somebody who uh, is is an original thinker and uh, is is very good at kind of uh, finding risk, taking risk in the proper places. And you are the head of trading for Delavan Lake uh, DL Trading. Um, what is it that is your roles there with with DL trading? Yeah, um, I mean it's it's varied, but I, I think it's it, there is the trading side. Well, there's the modeling side, which um, might I think we need to have our own opinion at uh, of of what uh, what any probability is at any time. And then there's also hand in hand with that is the trading side, where um, I think this function is is something that a a, a lot of uh, it, it hasn't been attempted to be automated by quite so much or quite so well. I I would say by other um, operators, um, but we're we're we attempt to uh, to respond automatically to to all betting flow or as as automatically as we can uh, to to any and all situations um that might come up in in whether it's betting pregame or betting during a game or um or like even coming up with fun things like uh offering live title futures in a game uh so like we have to understand you know various concepts when it comes to that um but uh yeah that's 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 what my role is 
So, so there's really no human interaction in the trading. Um, there are, there's, there can be some. I, I do think that, like, uh, there's a lot of there. There's a lot of work to do to make to make the automated models. And I, I think I have a tendency to want to like every single game get it exactly exactly the right, put everything in exactly the right spot. But um i'm not sure that's the best use of our time really like i i think the and I, I think this this probably is a parallel for a lot of sports bettors you can you can focus on that one exception to the rule and 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 getting maybe you know understanding how this particular game on this particular day might not fit my 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 met my system or you could focus on just keeping your um your automated process as sharp as you absolutely can. And and I usually it's a better use of time to 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 kind of focus on that kind of automation. I don't know if every to, people's processes are to a greater or lesser extent automated, I think, but but building tools that 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 do the chopping of the wood and the carrying of the water so that you don't have to spend as much energy on that on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I think most people don't regret doing those types of things. Um, and I'm I'm sure some of this is proprietary. There's some stuff that you can't obviously talk about with how you build these models up. But yeah. when it comes to the challenges that in-game betting versus pre-game numbers have, I mean, the amount of variables that you can have in any one of these games, stuff that you have to account for, like you mentioned, you're just trying to build a structure that's going to be as accurate as possible and gets you as much of a one-size-fits-all. Like dealing with injuries in-game, dealing yeah. with, uh, de dealing with all the things that can happen and all the different ways that a game state can be ever so slightly different. Is it just some of it when it comes to building out that model, you're relying on the fact that there's so much going on. There's so many college games that you can kind of hide the forest in the trees. And um, no, well, uh, yeah, the, the lumberjacks will find us. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, I'm, I'm gonna try to see what what I can couldn't say in the public forum here. I think there's a, a combination, like I said, there's a combination of modeling techniques and trading techniques that are used to to deal with something like an injury. That an injury, a severe injury, would be the kind of thing that would that we would have a manual intervention on, where we would see Aaron Rodgers grabbing his his Achilles and as a first thing just stop you know first stop every you know before as we as we uh as we assess this and then finding our way back to a new equilibrium price is you know we have various processes for that but some of that can go on while we're not offering a continuous price that is obviously you know way wrong in in the meantime um but uh yeah outside of the largest types of injuries i think um the the process is more continual i think i would say where where um these uh whatever it is that's happening in the game is is happening drip 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 one one dose at a time and and the model is kind of like making small adjustments to it as it goes along such that we can stay in there and and price it up and so when you're building this stuff for pre uh, for in-game versus the pre-game are there what are some of the other challenges the things that people don't think of or the things that make 
in-game modeling unique compared to pre-game numbers? Again, mm -hmm. the stuff that you can talk about. Yeah, well, I think um, what there is the whole issue of uh, a, a parsing uh, the game state itself. It, it's, I would say, half of our job almost is to, I think we can all agree, maybe we won't agree, but we can begin to try to agree at what the price of the game is given this score and this possession of the ball and and everything. Um, how can you uh, ensure that that is exactly what what the case is when you know the the, the reliability of the data is is it's okay it they're doing their best and and at times they you know, but at times something slips through and and if we just pass that incorrect game state along to the world, we're gonna take a huge bath on that. Um, so uh, that that's one of the the more of our more of our work goes into that than than I think most people would would tend to, to know um yeah so uh, what i'm curious of is how much has the industry changed in the past 20 years or so now i've been i've been betting for a long time we used to rely on what we used to call them the pinnacle lean you could always yeah. tell which way pinnacle was leaning they would make sure they had the the best price around for the side they wanted you to bet into because back in those times, Pinnacle was more of a betting operation than a, than a bookmaking operation. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's no longer the case. Brandon, I guess my question to you is how has it changed and how does that affect how you guys make markets without necessarily there being one singular leader in the market anymore? Yeah. I, it, it seems to me that the, um, the number of venues that are attempting to keep um, their own price in any sort of significant way, it, it's kind of really separated. Like, it, it, I think in the olden days, went back when I was betting 20 years ago, um, there were outlets that 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 um, that were kind of halfway in between. I I, I think would would be a, a, a way to put it and. I think that the tweeners have kind of gone out of the, the system right now. It, it's there's the handful of industry leaders that are attempting to 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 kind of truly market make in 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 sports. And then there's everyone else on on, you know, that are providing, a, you know, a retail sports betting experience, right? you know, and uh, it's I, I think it's a lot clearer where the delineation tends to be right now. Um, it would be one thing that's happened. Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, let's wrap it up here. And you've been so kind with your time, but I do have one more question I thought of that I'd, I'd like to ask. I'd really like to get an honest answer here. <laughs> would you rather be betting 20 years ago when you were knowing what you knew then, you know, the resources you had then, or would you rather be betting in today's market? Or do you think the best is yet to come for betters? And is there is is it going to get better than this? And would you rather bet sometime in the future when you know you think the market has matured a little bit more? That's a that's an interesting question. I think the two times that uh, that you're referring to twenty years ago and and now, both were what you might say bull markets for for sports betting um the there was a lot of um that was the the that era started in the internet 
boom, the pets.com boom. And I think people just put up websites expected, you know, all of their customers to be, you know, as about as sharp as, as they were when they were, you know, local bookmakers. And then they found that <laughs> there were the hundred same guys were, were, were taking accounts everywhere and it wasn't quite as easy as it, it thought it was. So, but the overall optimism of the, of the, the, the sort of land rush into sports betting was, was going on then. And then it, it receded and, and poker took a more front seat in, in terms of people's consciousness. Um, and now with, uh, you know, with the expansion of, of legalized United States betting, it's happening again. I think, I think the two are, that's a cop out, but they're about the same. I, I think it's good to be a part of the, of a, of a, an era where, betting is expanding. I think that's always going to leave more opportunities on the margins for betters to, to, to find and, 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 and attack. Um, so I, I guess I will take the equal of the two and then expect some kind of, some kind of near-term recession and then expect a, a third golden age to happen that I can, will hopefully be around for. <laughs> I feel like it's a it's a pros and cons like back then the edges yeah. were larger there was more that you could attack but the flip side was information was harder to gather and you didn't yeah. have nearly as as much ease of access as we do in the technology technology age today yeah but the, the skills are the same I uh, really they are and yeah. uh um the game is more or less the same I I, I think um as uh as machine learning gets involved into things, it, it can become a little less uh, intelligible. I, I think what what what, and and they become a little, I guess, different or distant or different. You might say for for a lot of people, but um, I, I'm not sure that there's all that much going on 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 that just yet in terms of in terms of you know where the the real action is right now. How worried are you about machine learning for the future of betting? For the future of betting? Oh, uh, <laughs> betting. We're not about, talking about Skynet. That's about obviously, the, yeah, <laughs> the, the technological singularity. But uh, uh, <laughs> and, um, for for me, at least, uh, at least my understanding of of machine learning is it does really well with massive data. You you feed ChatGPT the entirety of the spoken word of the human language and it can it can really talk as a result of that um there's 256 nfl games each year um and the rules are changing and the i i just don't know if you can quite regress it and and machine like, like you can you can regress it obviously but can you can you just throw the data into a big machine learning program I really don't think so. Um, but I, I mean, I could be wrong and, and data sources are, are getting, you know, more granular, I, I suppose, and, and more is going on. But um, I, I, I continue to think that for the near term, it, it, a, a, uh, to the extent that there is um, machine learning going on, it, it's, it's sort of an applied machine learning that that's, that's being handled by you know, someone who's also a, a real expert in either the sport or betting on the sport that uh, that that is the combination of that person and and their product is what would deliver them an edge in, in that. Um, so yeah. it still requires that more personal touch to it that some people have. 
I'd like to think so, but that could be, uh, you know, that could be somebody who's been around for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Brandon, uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate the time. I think that we have kept you long enough. Uh, once again, Brandon Moran, you can find him and all the awesome stuff he's doing at DL Trading, co-founder and head of trading over there. And you can check them out because if you're in New Jersey, if you're lucky enough to be in the Garden State and betting with Sport Trade, you're and going Colorado. up against Brandon. Colorado. And Colorado, Colorado, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you guys are expanded now. And once again, of course, congratulations to everyone involved in that fantastic undertaking. It is great to see. Brandon, it has been fantastic talking with you here today. Um, We'll have to bring you back again because I'm sure yeah, anytime. Jack could think fun. of I'm sure Jack could think of a million more questions for you. <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna get into the Lehigh stuff, but you know, yeah, that's yeah. another episode. Yeah. But for so, now, that is gonna do it for us. Thank you again, Brandon, so much. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Check us out, of course, at unabated.com. Football season is here. We are in the full swing of things. It is fantastic. We have so much to help you get an edge. And hey hopefully even make some money over on our friends at sport trade that's going to do it for now we'll see you next episode